A Nation Changed with Kurt Fernley is sponsored by HireUp. A registered NDIS service provider, HireUp is Australia's leading online platform where people with disability can find, hire and manage their own support workers. To find out more, head to hireup.com.au. That's h-i-r-e-u-p.com.au. Can you take us back to that day when the NDIS bill was introduced into Parliament? What do you remember? <laughs> it, was, it was a very emotional day. Um, I'll, get, I'll get all emotional again just, <laughs> just remembering it. Over the past six years, the idea of a national disability insurance scheme has found a place in our nation's hearts. These are huge moments and to sit there in the parliament and to see every single person vote for it, that was pretty amazing. Felt like it would probably be too good to be true. Kind of felt like one of those pipe dreams. It was a very proud moment for me. It was a moment where probably for one of the first times I really felt myself as an equal. It was such a victory and yes, we've done it. We have changed the law. And to know that all of that work had come to fruition, that was a very, very special day. On May 15th, 2013, Prime Minister Julia Gillard introduced legislation to fund the National Disability Insurance Scheme, the NDIS. In March, we gave it a place in our nation's laws. Today, we inscribe it in our nation's finances. This was the result of years of research, advocacy and pleas from the community. The system supporting people with disability in this country was failing. This moment was one that would change the nation. More than seven years on, the NDIS is now available across Australia. More than 400,000 Australians with disabilities are accessing support through the scheme. More than one third of those for the very first time. It's one of the greatest social reforms in Australia's history. But the journey to this point hasn't been easy. The stress it caused me was just unbelievable. Yeah, I've never felt stressed like that before. I can honestly say that NDIS has broken my spirit. But there have been successes too. I have got those goals and more. The NDIS has transformed my life completely. I grew up in a time where the only hope for adequate disability support was if you were hit by a car. The system only supported people with disability after accidents, excluding so many who were born this way. When I first learned about the NDIS, I didn't just see an opportunity to change the system, but to change the way people with disabilities even see themselves. I'm Kurt Fernley, and this is A Nation Changed. In this four-part series, we're diving into the history of the NDIS, where it came from, its successes, where it's fallen short, and how it's performing in 2020. A lot of people are quite worried that it's, it's a way of weeding people out of the scheme. You'll hear from the people personally affected by the scheme. I thought, wow, this is great. It sounds good. I could see a lot of opportunity to better my life. And the people who made this once-in-a-generation reform possible. This was always a very emotional journey. So, 
Why are we even looking at the NDIS? Because it's a critical issue for each and every Australian. I think the NDIS is important for everyone. It's important because it directly supports almost half a million people and their families, giving them choice and control over their own lives and helping them to participate fully in society. With the NDIS, there was the prospect that the family could work, but also more people with disability could work because of the investment in their capability and capacity. And important because any one of us, one day, could come to rely on it. Anyone could end up disabled at any time. No one thinks they're going to end up in an accident or be diagnosed with a condition that's going to, you know, disable them. I didn't think it would happen to me. This podcast is a story about politics, procedures and process. But at its heart, it's about people. I want to feel like my life is as close to normal as any other 30-something-year-olds. For the 4.5 million Australians living with a disability, it's vital that we ask, is the NDIS living up to its principles? That's what I want to find out. Hello. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Good, and you? Good, thank you. I'm Jake. Before we jump to the NDIS that we know today, you have to understand what came before it. That's why we're meeting Joe Berry. Producer Jake Morecambe visited Joe at home in Sydney's Forest District. I'm Joe Berry. I'm 34 years old. I'm a social worker and I very much love to crochet. Joe lives with a mum and dog, Billy, who was pretty keen to get behind the mic himself. Sorry, that's Billy. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> jo has been on the NDIS since 2016, but she also received support under the previous system. Pre-NDIS, the disability system was quite segmented and, and there was like a number of packages and projects that ran and you really had to fit some quite narrow criteria for all of them. Like it was about proving how disabled you were and what you needed. Before the NDIS, Disability support was massively different across the states and territories. Each had their own disability projects and packages. And what exactly was the package that you were applying for? I was on a program called Community Support Package or something like that. And that covered me for, say, 14 hours um, of support carers per week. Joe says the old system was like a, a messy patchwork it was also quite hard to know which thing you'd fit. So there was a lot of need for, say, case managers because they would know all of the various um, projects. I remember when I applied for the project that I ended up being on, it was, I think, yeah, like at least 15 pages to apply. And then you just, yeah, had to kind of wait around and hope that you fitted it. What was included in that 15 pages? Oh, gosh, it's going back a long time, but... A lot of technical stuff about what's wrong with you, what's your disability, how does it impact your life? I mean, the same sort of things as normal. And then what do you want your life to be? It did do the essentials, but at one point, I remember, there was a lot of people filling in the gaps themselves. There was also a lot of people that didn't fit very narrow criteria and therefore didn't get the support they needed. 
Joe says one of the major problems with the old system was that none of her service providers talked to each other. Everything seemed to run separately. Also, and this is a big one, she had no choice or control over which provider she went with. Having no choice is something that Kathy and her daughter Emily from Sydney's North Shore also really struggled with. What do you like about trucks? This truck. What do you like about Mac? Um, I like driving Mac. Yeah, okay. Emily, who has an intellectual disability, was at the whim of her service providers. Her mum, Kathy, felt like they had no control over her support needs. We didn't really have a choice. We didn't want Emily's life to be limited. Pre-NDIS, it was the, the big service providers that had all the control, you know, and very little control for the families. Uh, you had no choice. You want your kids to be able to um, achieve to their full potential. And when a system actually limits that and tells you, no, you've got a disability, so therefore you have to fit into this system. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, look, I'm, I'm a bit of a rebel in that respect and I challenge the system. I want to feel like my life is as close to normal as any other 30-something-year-old. Here's Joe Berry again. I wanted great support workers to get me up at night and for other things and, and I wanted to be able to go swimming. I wanted to be able to get in the water and not to be relying on mum, to be able to go away for a weekend away. Most adults get to go away for a weekend without their parents. I didn't have like funding for a care for that. And also knowing that if mum ended up in hospital, which she has along the way, that I could stay at home and, and I'd have the support I need. Okay, so disability support varied from state to state, but what was the national approach to disability support before the NDIS? Well, there wasn't one. This is John Walsh. What you need to know about John is that he is a genius with numbers. He's an actuary, somebody who works out risk through probability and prediction. John is also a quadriplegic. He injured his spine playing football in his early 20s. I had my injury in 1971 and I didn't receive any government support until about 1990. My family and friends and community provided all the support that, that I needed to get me out of bed in the morning, go to bed at night, help me in going to the toilet. John says it wasn't until the late 1980s until Australia started seeing disability as a national issue. That effectively was the start of what became the disability system. The states all then introduced their own disability legislation and there was an agreement called the Commonwealth State Disability Agreement. But John says this agreement fell short. It failed to come up with a real plan to put disability on the national stage. This started to become obvious in the 1990s. There was a big demographic baby boom of people born 1945 to 1960. Parents who were effectively looking after children born in that era were now starting to get too old. So they're wondering what do they now do with their child? Pretty soon the states were finding that their costs were going through the roof. Parallel to all of this, there was a big push around the world for rights for people with disability. Here in Australia, things were ramping up too. I think what you'd like me to say is it felt energising, but it felt like a slog. This is Katrina Clark. 
Katrina has worn many hats and written many papers in her 15 years as a disability advocate. You had to battle to get seen or heard by politicians, by media. So we were really trying to build this up. I think the best thing I did then was following attendance at a seminar which had a speaker from Norway uh, who spoke about the statistics in Norway and Sweden. I went home and just sat down, didn't move and wrote this paper. And I would suggest to anybody that wants to advocate for anything, you've got to put in writing what you want and some statistics to back it up. And then you've got something to give people. Even if they don't read it, you've got something to knock on their doors and chase them about. And that's what we did. As momentum was brewing in the community, John Walsh received a phone call. I got a call from um, John Delaboska, who was the Minister for Disability at the time. And he, and he said, look, I want you to have an actuarial look at this problem, see what's happening with the numbers, and we can maybe think about a way to, to do something about it. But John knew this was about more than the numbers. This was about systemic change. I'd written papers on you know, the concept of a system-wide approach. The first paper was probably 1984, another one in 1995, and I, this was the first time that it started to become something that was actually considered, I guess, by governments. The real trigger was in 2007 when the Kevin Rudd government appointed Bill Shorten as Parliamentary Secretary. He basically grabbed it and ran with it. Bill Shorten was my Parliamentary Secretary. This is Jenny Macklin. She was a member of Federal Parliament for 23 years. Great to be with you, Kurt, today. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Jenny was a senior minister in both the Rudd and Gillard governments, and part of her portfolio covered disability. And he was this very enthusiastic new member of parliament, and he and I really thought, well, okay, let's see where this idea takes us. Bill Shorten, with Jenny Macklin's support, formed the Disability Investment Group in 2008. This group, also called DIG, brought together disability and numbers experts to brainstorm ideas for a new and improved disability support system. John Walsh was on that group and a few others. They started to think about, well, what is the notion of insurance in the case of disability support really mean? So what was the point of the Disability Investment Group? The remit of DIG was to look at innovative models to pull private investment into the disability system. So there were a whole bunch of ideas that would take private money and bring it into um, the disability sector. They all had problems. And why an insurance scheme? I think it gave the best opportunity of a fair system, so everyone is covered. This idea that if we all pay a small amount, then it's affordable for everybody. This is Bruce Bonnerhady. He was the first chair of the NDIA board. The NDIA is the National Disability Insurance Agency, the independent body whose job it is to implement the scheme. He was a member of DIG too. Yes, there are a few acronyms wrapped up in the NDIS. It wouldn't be government policy without them. Anyway, Bonnerhady is often called the architect of the NDIS. He says the scheme was a complete 180 from the previous system. Rather than disability service providers being paid by state governments to support individuals, 
people would get money from the government directly to spend with the providers that they choose. This was a crucial change. It meant power would rest with people and not the providers, giving people with disability choice and control, two things that they had never had before. Joe Berry says having choice means everything. So one of the great things I love about the NDIS is that you've got heaps more choice about that. It's really great having the freedom to choose. I feel like in the past... I only really ever saw that you got some bare minimum equipment that you'd need. You'd get the bare minimum care you need. The focus was intended to shift with NDIS to be, what can you do? What would you do with your life if you could do it? Choice for Kathy and her daughter Emily is equally as important. Oh, choice, choice is everything because it means that um, as an individual possibilities are endless. And, and why shouldn't they be? Choice and control, I know that's, those words are used a lot, but truly, they, it's, it's everything. Bruce Bonahady says the NDIS also signalled a change in thinking. Disability support was no longer a welfare system. It was about insurance and investment. As with any insurance policy, you hope you never have to draw on it, but you're happy to pay it because it gives you confidence that if something happens to yourself or your child or your grandchild, then they'll be able to be supported. Bruce asked disability advocate Katrina Clark to address the idea of an NDIS at the Australian 2020 Summit. This was a big ideas convention hosted by the Rudd government in 2008. There were many more people who wanted to attend that summit than were invited. I think in total there were a thousand people invited, uh, but I wasn't one of them. So the only way I could influence the process was to write a submission and then lobby as many people as I could who I knew who would be attending the summit. And it was really in writing a submission that I came up with the idea and coined the term National Disability Insurance Scheme. It was overwhelming for me. And there were so many very, very important people there. So that was scary you'd all be trying to work together to come up with what we were told was only to be two or three ideas, which was impossible because the number of ideas that people came up with and from so many issues, I could see I had really tough competition when I got there. And I was just amazed at the end of the two days when the National Disability Insurance Scheme was able to make its way to the top ideas. After the summit, the idea of an NDIS blew up. The NDIS was just gaining traction, getting support from all sorts of different quarters. And I would be prepared to go anywhere (laughs) to talk about it. So I flew around the country or met with people or whatever was needed and spoke at whatever events I could to try and give publicity to this idea. And slowly but steadily, support for it grew. At the end of 2009, the Disability Investment Group, or DIG, handed down its report. Then John Walsh, our numbers guy, he got another call, this time from Bill Shorten. By that time, Bill Shorten was Assistant Treasurer, and he gave me a call and said, look, we're going to refer this to the Productivity Commission. We want you to be one of the commissioners. Walsh took on the role as a commissioner. One of his first tasks was to take submissions from the public. So we went around to the country, um, meeting um, people, 
people would come in and we'd invite them to tell their stories. He spoke to over 500 people. The two sort of stories, if you like, that came through for me most strongly were the desperation of people, particularly parents. When I say parents, I don't mean parents of children. I mean 70, 80-year-old parents of 40, 50-year-old adults who were desperate for some way of being able to die in peace, desperate to know how that child would be looked after after they were dead. There was a real failing of the system to provide any real sort of support and quality of life for a whole bunch of families. The system was failing, and it was failing badly, and it was a disgrace. The other thing that stood out for me was when we talked to people with disability and asked them what they needed, the overwhelming response was, we just need someone to listen to us and help us. We were hearing that people needed aptitude and empathy. People who were prepared to listen, who were prepared to respect. As the Productivity Commission was gathering stories, another hugely influential report on disability was about to drop. I don't think many Australians really understood just how bad it was until all the detail of that came out through Rhonda Galbally's report. Rhonda Galbally is a respected disability rights advocate. She did a piece of work for us called Shutout. The Shutout report was incredibly influential. You know, it pointed out that, you know, while the institutions in which people with disability had largely been closed in the 1980s, 1990s and early 2000s, most people with disability were still shut out from a normal life. That picture, together with the solution that the NDIS offered, became the drivers. So the Shutout and Productivity Commission reports are handed down, and they're two very influential reports. The Productivity Commission report, though, included a number of recommendations. What did they say? The famous quotation out of the report is, the disability system is underfunded, unfair, fragmented and inefficient. And people with disability have little choice to be supplied with the services they need. We thought that needed to change. And providing people little choice, we saw that that could be changed by recommending that the funding was allocated at a personal basis to individual people with disability or their agents, and they would have choice over what to do with that funding. With the case for an NDIS laid out in front of them, it was over to the federal government to follow it up. Jenny Macklin took the lead. I was the minister responsible for the biggest spending portfolio because we had all the pensions and family payments and so on. I was used to dealing with very, very big financial decisions, but this was the biggest of all. At the same time, we were having a huge fight inside the parliament and um, with the opposition about uh, whether or not we would introduce a carbon price. So things were already, they were pretty tense between the government and the opposition. Australians will pay more for everything under her carbon tax. And the leader of the opposition increasingly will be exposed as someone who went about generating fear with hollow and untrue. So the whole discussion about what's a tax and 
advisability or otherwise of having a tax to pay or to help pay for a new national disability insurance scheme, I expect it to be enormously controversial. So getting that through the expenditure review committee and the actual decision to go for a new social insurance scheme in Australia was a massive decision. But as I say, we were enormously helped by the fact that the Productivity Commission had done such a good job. The important things they demonstrated was that if the existing system, the old system, kept going, uh, it would in fact cost more and deliver less to people with disability than a proper system of social insurance would uh, that was properly funded and gave people the support that they needed. And that, that was an incredibly powerful thing uh, because that said to the government, not just the federal government, but the state governments who, to a very large degree, funded disability care and support, you can't just keep going the way you are. But the NDIS was going to cost a lot too. It would cost an extra $6 billion each year, on top of what the state governments were already spending. This, it ruffled a lot of feathers. At the time, Victoria and New South Wales were both Liberal, and getting them, of course, was essential. We had to get them over the line. With the national rollout set for 2020, the Productivity Commission estimated the scheme would cost around $14 billion each year. In the end, Jenny Macklin and the Labor government were able to tow most states over the line. We got a very good agreement in the end with both the uh, Liberal premiers as well as Jay Weatherall in South Australia was great. We really did uh, come to a terrific place. Western Australia, however, was pretty tricky. Western Australia was, was a holdout. They had not agreed by uh, the time we were taking the legislation through, so that was very difficult. A few years later, we did uh, get Western Australia over the line, but it took a long time. Jenny Macklin says convincing the states wouldn't have been possible without the advocacy happening out in community. The other great campaign I should mention was the Every Australian Counts campaign, one of the best community campaigns I have ever seen, if not the best. The campaign got people out at events, writing emails and making videos, like this one. So people with disability, their families, carers and those who support them got together and a campaign was born. We knew it wouldn't be easy and that it would take time. We knew we had to show the rest of Australia what the problem was and how the NDIS would fix it. We gave evidence at the... I definitely remember going to, you know, huge Every Australian Counts events where, I mean, I've been in a lot of crowds in my life as a result of political uh, life that I've lived, but this was a very special crowd, you know, huge arenas filled with people with disabilities and their carers there to make a very public point about how they wanted the community to see them. It was incredible. Julia Gillard was the Australian Prime Minister from 2010 to 2013. Now, let me, given you're recording this and something's just gone ding, I'm just going to, and there's another thing that's just gone ding, uh, I'm just going to mute. Oh, hang on. There we go, done. Why was the NDIS a priority for your government? 
The NDIS was a priority because really it was an idea whose time had come. I mean, this was an idea that the nation had talked about for decades. And I think I and many other Labor people recognise the inherent fairness of it. This was always a very emotional journey, an emotional journey and an intellectual journey. You know, you can't get the big things done in government if you um, are constantly swept away by the emotion. You've got to be very businesslike, you've got to be very professional, very methodical. With all of that, when it did get to the big public moments, you know, you could let some of the emotion in, you could feel it. One of these emotional moments came on the 21st of March 2013. This was when the National Disability Insurance Scheme Act passed in Parliament. Finally, the NDIS would become law. I do remember feeling it when the legislation went through the Parliament that there was a sense of relief almost that after all of this work and preparation, we were getting there and doing something that would matter and matter for so many Australians and for the long-term future. When Julia Gillard announced an increase to the Medicare levy to fund the scheme in May, the Liberal Party pledged their full support. I was with Julia Gillard when she announced it and uh, Tony Abbott came out on the day and said that he would support the increase to the levy and that was the point at which we knew we were fine. On May 15th, with the states, territories and opposition all on board, Julia Gillard held back tears as she read the bill into Parliament. Over the past six years, the idea of a national disability insurance scheme has found a place in our nation's hearts. It, it did seem like it was quite an emotional moment for you. Why, why did that get to you? Well, I kind of surprised myself and I certainly surprised my colleagues. I remember uh, after I gave the speech, uh, sitting down and talking to Deputy Prime Minister Wayne Swan, who joked with me, God, if I'd had a bet on who was going to cry, I would have betted on Macklin because, you know, <laughs> because Jenny was always the one who was, uh, she was more known in the Labor caucus for showing emotion during the big moments. I wasn't so much. I was reflecting back on the many people I had met and the big difference that this would make for their lives. And I'm speaking of people with disabilities, but also their families, their carers, the community members that supported them. I was imagining the faces of the people who were watching and for whom this was just a lifetime dream come true. And so that made it a very emotional moment for me. The people who have gathered here today from around the country to witness this debate know what this means. NDIS participant Joe Berry clearly remembers this moment. I was like stoked about it all. I think change is always scary because you know you at least know the system that you're on but the idea of it yeah, it's just this complete shift with disability. It's like we're not going to just provide you the bare minimum and sort of like keep you in a corner. It's like, no, go do things. Like, be what you want to be and get the care you need. So it was pretty exciting when that all went through. I didn't think it would because it's such a big cost. And do they think people care enough about those with disabilities for politically for it to be the right move? And I think it was. 
now in law. The NDIS was set to launch on the 1st of July, 2013. A number of sites were chosen around the country to put the scheme to the test. But just a few days before it was set to go live, Australian politics would tumble into chaos. Australia's first female Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, says she will resign from politics. They say revenge is sweet, and Kevin Rudd couldn't have looked happier. On June 26, 2013, Julia Gillard lost the Prime Ministership to Kevin Rudd in a leadership spill. And just a few months down the track, an election was called, leaving the scheme's future in murky waters. In the next episode, the NDIS goes live. But how would these messy few months in Australian politics affect the scheme? I was pretty angry. (laughs) Well, I was very angry because people with disability were being used and that made me very, very angry. Would this once-in-a-generation reform live up to its principles? I wrote a letter to the Prime Minister's Department that said, this scheme's not working, we've got to change it. A Nation Change is hosted by me, Kurt Fernley. Our lead producer is Jake Morkel. Jasmine Mee Lee is our assistant producer. Jess Binnett is executive producer of the series. This podcast is a collaboration between Higher Up Australia and Audiocraft. Subscribe to A Nation Changed wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or listen to episodes individually at higherup.com.au forward slash A Nation Changed. There are transcripts too at the same address, higherup.com.au forward slash a nation changed.